Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world The changing times And the things that we could all do to live a better life If times get tough or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, from my personal mobile studio, my 2006 Dot 5. Don't want to leave the Dot 5 off. Jetta Diesel TDI. Uh, as I cruise at speeds uh, when traffic allows it up to 70 miles an hour uh, and propelled by this little German diesel, get about 44 miles to the gallon. Anyway... Uh, today's show, we're going to continue with the Q&A. I just have so many great questions, and I want to get a lot of them answered, and I'll probably not do a Q&A show tomorrow. And the reason I probably won't do a Q&A show tomorrow is I don't want to get spoiled with this, because these shows are, frankly, a hell of a lot easier to do than taking a single topic and doing deep research on it uh, whenever I can find time during my day, morning, and night, and then putting on a 30- to 40-minute show completely uh, with no feedback or input. So uh, I don't want to get spoiled into this. And uh, so I'll probably break away from it at least a couple of days this week. So I don't answer your question today, and I don't do this tomorrow. Don't think your question's not going to get answered. I am going to work through this massive folder of questions that have come in. Uh, before we do that, though, let's uh, go through today's house cleaning. Got some extra stuff in today's house cleaning. Uh, number one, uh, we've made some changes to the forum, and this isn't so much house cleaning as this is an important community announcement. Um, I have a staff of moderators, and, and folks, some of you. You may have conflicted with my moderators, and you, you, the, the, the issue is you do not understand how much work they do, how hard it is to do what they do, and the the deep debates that go on behind the scenes that you never see between our moderators deciding, do we really put the hammer down on this or do we let this one go, and where is the line? And it's a lot of work. And most of the work comes out of bickering and fighting and people taking threads off course in two boards, day-to-day political news uh, and patriotism and the new revolution, those two boards are the, the, the genesis of 90% of the things that need moderation. Not always, but most of the time they come from people that are new to the forum. Many have never even listened to this show. They find, find the forum through Google or whatever, and they just want to come in and they want to argue their pet political issues to death. That is, an, you know, the politics around us, the government around us, the economy around us, all of these things are important to us in the survivalist community. But the, the show and the forum and everything around the show are first and foremost about survivalism and preparations. This is not a political show. We talk about political things from time to time. But 80 to 90% of the material on the site and in my show is how you can live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And that's not debating how many cops are good cops and how many cops are bad cops, for just one example. So we've made this change. That board will no longer be even visible. Those two boards will no longer be visible to people until they've made 100 posts in the forum. I know some people may be upset with that. I'm sorry. Those are the rules. We believe it will solve most of the problems that we have in policing the community. It is not that many posts. If you're that upset about not being able to post, I assume you want to post. If you were to post five posts a day, it's 20 days. 
and those boards open. We're not publishing the number 100 on the site. We're not doing it, and I will never do it again. This is the one time that I will let people know that have been affected because you had already had visibility to those boards what the magic number is. One time, one time only, 100 posts. Okay. The next piece of this, I want you to understand that most people that come into the forum as new people will never know until they cross 100 posts. So we know we're not going to upset them, so we're only worried about upsetting our good quality people who have been active but haven't quite hit 100 yet. And that's why I'm making this announcement today, to let you know it's nothing that you did personally. This is a systemic thing, and this is how we're running our community. The other side of that is, this is not debatable. This is not something you can kind of ask me about and tell me what you think about. I really don't care what anybody thinks about this. We debated this for over a week. We thought about this for a week, and we analyzed very successful, rapidly growing forums in our community and looked at the way they were doing things. The ones with the most success were pretty much following this model. So we decided to do that, too. The end. It is over. If it if it hacks you off, I'm sorry. Make some posts until the boards reappear for you. All right. Uh, next thing is uh, I want to say something about Member Support Brigade. I appreciate, like you cannot imagine, every single member of Member Support Brigade. But we've also had people on the forum that when they're they're moderated or pulled back a little bit, say, "Well, I'm a paying member." Well. Let me be very clear about something. Member Support Brigade sits on a domain, survivalpodcast.net. The forum sits on thesurvivalpodcast.com. The databases are not linked. The two are not linked. Many Member Support Brigade members are not forum members, and many forum members are not Member Support Brigade members. They are two separate things. Now, some people display a button, an icon, what have you, because they're proud that they're a supporting member of the show. I am honored by that. But... What you have to understand right now, this second, is you get no special privileges on our forum because you're a supporting member. Nothing. Because the forum and the brigade are different. They're separate. They have nothing to do with each other. They will never be linked. Okay? Our moderators get no special privileges. And we've smacked down moderators who've gotten out of hand. The fellow moderators have got around and said, no, 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 you can't do that. We've even had one moderator get so pissed off he left. So no one, including me, is above the rules of the community. That is the rule of law. That's living in a constitutional-style community. That's how we run our forum. And in the end, one thing that must be clear is the site is a personal piece of property. So in the end, it's a dictatorship. And I don't mean to be an ass about that. I'm not going to do the usual house cleaning today because um, I just wanted to, to get those things out. I don't want to eat up too much time with it. I do want to let you know about a special show that I want to run on June, June 20th. Um, we have a number, 866-65-THINK. Again, 866-65-THINK. What I want to do on June 20th is I want the whole show to be you guys calling in and saying what the last year has meant to you. If the Survival Podcast has been part of it, just, you know, explain that too. But just talk about where you, you were in June of 2008 and where you are in June of 2009 and how prepping has made a difference in your life. And, if, again, if the show has been part of that, you know, link that in there. And all I want that show to be is one person after the next 
calling in and just saying what the last year's meant to them. You'll get up, you'll get uh, two to three minutes to speak before you'll get cut off. So you might want to think about what you have to say first. Three minutes is a long time uh, to, to to make a statement like that. Um, I, I think I'm going to keep it at two actually because that way I can get more people involved if, if more people want to call in. And that's going to be the whole show. I think it'll be a really cool, really special show. You can start calling in right away today from the time you hear this announcement. I'm going to do a special email announcement about it as well. And I'd really like to make that a cool show uh, for our one-year anniversary, which, again, is going to be June 20th, so it's just a couple weeks away. All right, so uh, that kind of wraps up the house cleaning. Uh, one more thing I wanted to throw out to you. I mentioned a show last week when I talked about, you know, if you needed to prep remotely, uh, taking your preps in one prep at a time. And I tried to, to remember there was an old song that I, uh, I remembered from the 70s about a guy that built a car by taking one piece of the car at a time off the assembly line. And what do you know, the name of the song, several people wrote in to tell me it, One Piece at a Time by Johnny Cash. So if you have an iTunes account and you like to download older music from time to time, check that one out. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So house cleaning wrapped up, no advertising today. Let's uh, get on with the show. So the first question uh, that I have today is, how exactly did, uh, I I mentioned that we were $25,000 in debt. And this person said, Jack, I'd really like to know how um, how you guys got out of debt. What exactly did you do? We're in debt ourselves. We only have about $2,000 worth of credit card debt, but we can't seem to kill that. We make extra payments when we can. We feel like we're going nowhere. What exactly did you do to, in several years, not only get out of all the consumer debt, but also put money in the bank, pay for everything, you know, get some silver, get some preps, do all the things that you've done? Um, first, I will not... Um, mitigate the fact that we, I make a pretty good income with my primary business. Uh, that is a big part of how we were able to get things done. But I was also in a much larger hole than $2,000. So the income level is not that critical, and you didn't tell me what your income level and expenses were, but in most instances, there's enough money to do the job if you focus it right. It's just like sunlight hitting the ground and nothing burns, and you take a magnifying glass and focus the same piece of light, and it starts a fire. So it's where the focus is. We followed, you know, the debt snowball, which has been made famous but was not invented by Dave Ramsey, which was basically took our smallest debt and we scraped together every extra piece of money we could and we put it on that debt. And we did that every single month. And when that debt went away, we took all of the money that was going to that debt, the, the principal and the extra, and we applied it to the next debt. And then we did it again. And by the time you get to your final debt, you're throwing so much money at it that you actually pay off your biggest debt faster than your smallest debt. Now, if all you have is 2 k let's let's be honest about this. $2,000 worth of credit card debt is $200 a month for 10 months with some interest. So call it $200 a month for 11 months. That's one year. Let's say we wanted to get really aggressive and get rid of that thing in the next six months. We did not want to end this year with that $2,000 debt. So you need $400. So all you have to do is find $400. Now, if you have a household income of $20,000, which is pretty dead gone low, you might sit and say, I I don't know where that money is. And if you have a household income of $50,000, I guarantee you there's a way to find it. So the first issue to look at is your income. If you don't have the money, and we'll talk about how to find the money in just a second, but if you don't have the money, then your only solution is to go get more money. Now, this is going to sound harsh, but it's the same advice that Dave Ramsey gives, and it works. 
If you go deliver pizzas, you can make $400 part-time a month very, very easily. And if you take 100% of that money and put it on your credit card debt, it will be gone in six months. If you really bust your ass with it, you could probably do $2,000 in 90 days of delivering pizzas. Especially if you go in and find some extra money and you just get serious about it and get it done. And you understand this means until this is paid off, there is, I've mentioned that we go to On the Border yesterday, just about every Friday. Well, when we were doing this, we didn't go to On the Border. Our son worked there. He went there to work. We stayed home. Right? You have to cut your expenses when you're in this mode. But if you make that commitment, it is not that long. Now, you've got a two-income household. I don't know if you have kids. If you do, it makes this more difficult. But if both of you can work extra hours, there is no reason you can't earn an extra $2,000 in 60 days if you make it your purpose. If you decide it is your purpose in life for the next 60 days to make that debt go away, you can do it. That's what we did. We decided our purpose in life, until all that debt was gone, was to make it go away. And it went amazingly fast. And what happens is the harder you hit it, the more motivated you get. Now we're doing the same thing with savings. We're like, just throw it in savings. If, if, if we run out of the checking account by the end of the month, we'll transfer some back in. But throw it all the hell in there. That's, that's where we're at with savings now. So you take that same principle and apply it to savings once you get out of the debt. And there is no easy answer. There's no special programs. There's no magic pill. There's no secret programs that credit card companies don't want you to know about. That's bullshit. It only comes from one place. It comes from you. And it comes from buckling down and making it the most important thing in your life. And if it means living on rice and beans for 60 days, you know what? People all over the world live their entire life on rice and beans. You can live on rice and beans for 60 days. And you could pay your debt to zero. And what I promise you is if you do it by rice and beans, over time, garage sales, delivering pizza, cutting your expenses, anything like that, you will never spend a penny on a credit card again. Once that one says zero, if you go get a home equity loan and pay it off, you'll put the credit card in your wallet and say never again, and then you'll use it again. It's been proven over and over. There's people with the discipline to do it, but at a $2,000 bill, that's not your, you know, that's not your way out. Your way out is hard work, knuckling down, making it the most important thing in your life. And I bet you you can do it in 90 days. And anybody can do anything for 90 days if they believe in the result at the end. So that's my, my message for you. As far as finding the money, I want you to get a journal. I want you to track every penny you spend. If you're this person who asks a question or anybody else in this situation, track every penny, a piece of bubble gum, write it down. At the end of a week, go through there like a maniac CFO taking over a bankrupt company that has to pull it out of the ashes and slice everything that's not necessary. You can always decide to put it back once you've pulled as much capital out as you can. But get through a month of doing that on a weekly basis, every bill, and deciding, do I really need this or not? Cut things to the bone. Pay it down, and then you'll have enough money to do what you want. It may take you a year. It may take you two years. It is worth it. Trust me, I've been there, done that. All right, um, next question. A guy wants to know, how I, how can I run a garden about an hour away from my bug out, or about a bug out location about an hour away from my house, and I only get there once every two to three weeks? You can do it. Um, you're going to have to be very careful about what time you plant certain plants. You want to make sure that you don't plant anything that could be affected by frost before you're past your frost date because you won't be there to cover them up. 
you need to put drip irrigation system in with an electronic timer that will take care of watering it at regular intervals. And during harvest times, you're going to have to be there more than once every two to three weeks because during harvest times, you're going to need to pick things more. Hence, my advice to you, and this guy asked about a square foot garden, is you probably don't want a square foot garden at your bug out location, uh, at least not a, a large one, maybe one or two, four block squares, plant things that keep long on the vine, uh, are good for fresh eating and can be taken home, or plant things that can take a very long growing season and then have a very long storage life. So stick to things like squashes, and I mean winter squashes, onions, garlic, uh, potatoes, things that you can go out right at their harvest time, pick them and bring them home, or start growing things that are good for saving for seeds and developing a seed bank off of it. Because if you grow things like uh, pole beans, odds are most of your pole beans, you know, you're going to get out there and they're all going to be brown and they're going to be too big to eat and all. Uh, but those are great for seeds. So, you know, think about that. But the thing to really think about is planting shrubs, bushes, and small trees with drip irrigation at your bug out location. Um, they take longer to grow, so plant them first and then slowly move it. And you might be better off putting your drip irrigation, the expense and the labor of doing that into things that are more of a permaculture type situation uh, that will produce a lot longer term and need a lot less attention day to day. But you can do both, but I'd strongly encourage you to look at some permaculture options with that. Uh, the next question, um, what do you think of upside-down homeowners who basically decide my home is, wor- is worth less than I owe on it, I'm screwed. I'm never going to get out of this hole. And they sit in their home for the year it takes for eviction. They take all the money they would be, let's say they they, uh, are paying $2,500 in their house payment. So they take that $2,500 a month and they put it into a savings account. And, uh, you know, or stock, if you're smart doing this, and I think you're wrong for doing this, so, but if you're going to be a smart, criminal, that's what you are if you do this, uh, if you're smart, you, you convert it to cash and you hide it. And so if you're doing $2,500 a month, uh, what's that, 5000 every two months, that's uh, uh, just about $25,000 you could save up in that year, right? Is that right? What is that? Well, that would be about $60,000. So you'd save up about $60,000 in cash and then haul ass and say, choke on it. Well, the thing is, if you do that, first of all, I don't think you're going to get away with a year anymore. You're probably going to get maybe six months before they throw you the hell out. You absolutely will destroy your credit rating. You've skipped town if you have that huge payment with, say, $30,000 in six months of pulling this scam. Uh, You've defaulted on your debt. You've ruined your name. And your bank, if you have assets, will come after your assets as they should. The way you get out of this situation of being upside down in a home is you pay your debt. And you keep paying it because that was the agreement that you made when you signed the contract. That's keeping your word. Okay, and that's that's the way I feel about that. Um, and he, well, I got an adjustable rate mortgage, and now my payment went up. Uh, you know what? Mortgage rates are still lower than they've ever been in history. Um, if this adjustment at this point hurts you, I don't know what the hell you were planning for because you should have realistically been planning for your adjustable rate mortgage to at least be six to eight percent by now, at least, if not more. And well, I was going to refinance. Well, invite Murphy into your life, and he will kick you in the. You know where. Okay? Plain and simple. Uh, I, I think it's wrong. I don't think you should do it. I think it will destroy your life, and I think your creditors will come after you. You will not get away scot-free, and they may prosecute you even criminally if they can prove intent of theft. And it has been done. 
So I wouldn't freaking do it. Uh, that said, I understand mathematically why somebody would. It, it is, uh, is, is uh, white-collar crime goes, it, it makes, I guess, some logic. Um, should children be immunized? You know, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, smallpox. My opinion, yes. And I know some people get real upset over that. I don't want my kids infected with the New World Order vaccine or whatever. You know what? Your your kids, um, you have a certain amount of rights to do what you with as you please. If you're going to put your kids into the school system, it's generally required by law. There are some places where you can opt out of it. I don't think it's really a freaking good idea. Um, Plenty of people have been immunized. They're not dropping over dead. And before we were immunizing people, things like smallpox were killing and disfiguring millions of people every year. Things like polio were crippling people every year. And it's real easy to wax nostalgic to the past, but there's some harsh realities back there. I am for immunizing our children against common and dangerous communicable diseases. I am not... I am absolutely not for immunizing people against diseases that are not life-threatening, not life-altering, and suppressing the immune response to the natural mutations of the illness. Hence, I am not for the smallpox, or I'm sorry, the, the, the chickenpox vaccination. I got chickenpox as a kid. Uh, most kids when I grew up sooner or later got chickenpox. They came through it. I believe it was probably a positive thing for the body long term. And if we start immunizing people against things that do not threaten their lives, just so that it doesn't inconvenience them, I believe the long term effect will be a weakened human population. And I don't think we should do that. If something can kill you and has a high propensity to kill, cripple, or maim, and we can vaccinate against it, it probably makes a hell of a lot of sense to do so. Um, guy says, what do I do with my meat in my freezer if the power goes out? Can I brine it, dry it, jerk it, what have you? Um, first thing, power goes off. you got meat in your freezer. Um, if you think it's going to be a long-term outage, start making preparations to preserve the meat right away. But leave the freaking freezer closed. Your freezer could probably be off, in most instances, for up to 24 hours with no damage or loss to your meat if you don't open it. Especially a deep freezer, chest freezer. Any space that's left over in your freezer, beyond using it for storage in meat, fill up milk jugs with water and freeze giant solid blocks of ice in your freezer. That will prolong its uh, its its uh, you know survivability without power. Really consider at least you know a, a four or five hundred dollar backup generator if you keep a lot of uh, meat or anything in your freezer, vegetables. It doesn't matter uh, because if you can get through two or three three days, and all you have to really do is run that freezer during the hot part of the day uh, for maybe three or four hours a day, and you can milk that thing for days and days and days with a few, you know, a a dozen gallons of gas in a a small generator. So make preparations to try to keep the meat frozen first, but also be ready to go ahead and say, okay, power's not coming back on, I need to preserve the meat. Best way to preserve the meat is either through jerking it, 
making it into jerky, dehydrating it, or making it into biltong. I won't go through the procedure for either one of them, but there's there's episodes and there's forum threads about exactly how to do it. My preference would be biltong. Guy said, do you need a solar dehydrator? Won't hurt. We'll get the job done faster. But biltong, all you need is a dry, shady location. If it's humid around, then you're going to need some type of solar dehydration to keep everything dry uh, or a biltong box, which probably isn't going to work since your power's out and you don't have any light bulbs. So you're into a situation where jerk or, uh, you know, just flat-out dehydration would be better. There's a couple things to consider with dehydrating, drying, curing meat in these methodologies. Um, chicken and pork, in fact, all poultry, um, needs to be cooked. Even that turkey jerky you buy, it's actually cooked as it's put into jerky. The temperature hits at least for a, you know, a, a little few seconds, 160 degrees in that meat. And it's done in a very special way. If you just take poultry or you just take pork, you have a real propensity to cause yourself illness. Can you do it and get away with it? Yes, I would not advise it. So your poultry and your pork should be cooked or canned if that's another option for you. So those are some ways to take care of that. But absolutely, that's what you would have to do is dry out your meat, dehydrate your meat, jerk your meat, built on your meat, what have you. Uh, but do the things that you can to prevent that having to happen. Unless we have a true total shit-hit-the-fan scenario where the entire infrastructure's down, most power outages, even the pretty nasty ones that we had up in, like, Kentucky and Missouri and Arkansas this year with ice storms, lasted a week, week and a half. And, you know, the thing about that was it was freezing cold outside, so it was even easier to keep your meat frozen. So make preps for that. All right, next thing. Uh, what if you only had one evacuation route? This person lives on a peninsula. They said, I don't, if I'm going to get out in my truck or my car, uh, there's only one way the hell out of here. In fact, I have to drive several hundred miles before I even have a choice of going a different way. If I go off the main drive, all I'm doing is going to a different part of that peninsula. And they're from up in Alaska. And I would say, then you really, 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 really need to have your situational awareness heightened at all times. And you need to be prepared to jump a little bit faster than someone with the, with multiple options. But then they threw this little answer in that was actually their answer. So there's snowmobile and four-wheeler trails everywhere around here. Some of them will get us out of here. Should we make plans to use those if necessary? Uh-huh. Yeah, of course you should. So there is more than one. One way out, all you had to do was think about it. And I would say anybody that says you've only got one way out, think about it. Is there another way out? Including by boat, including by aircraft. And I know you may not have your private pilot's license, your own little private plane, but are there planes? Would there be a plane available to you if you needed it at short notice? These are just questions to ask yourself. My other statement, though, is if you live on a peninsula up in Alaska and you have to get out, I'm really concerned about what that means for the rest of us, unless it's a a localized, very dangerous weather event, in which case, again, keep your situational awareness. In most situations, if you're going to evac for weather, there is a long lead time, and people wait till the end hoping it will miss them, go to the left or the right of them on the map. And you cannot afford to do that if you only have one way out. A classic example of this would be there's two ways out, really. 
Valley, but people in Galveston uh, this this hurricane season with that massive hurricane that hit down there. You can basically go across the channel uh, to Houston, you know, up toward up head toward Houston. Let's put it that way, or you can go south and cross over down to Freeport and 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 get out that way. There's, there's only two ways out there. It's a freaking island. If you wait until the last second to evacuate this year's hurricanes in Galveston, you may have had to wait in long lines. But if you just boarded up the windows and got the hell out of there as soon as it looked possible and said, hey, if it doesn't hit, we'll just go back, you were probably a lot better off. So really heighten your situational awareness if you have uh, some limitations as to how you can get yourself out of an area. My next uh, question was, uh, Jack, what are your thoughts on putting in some fish ponds? And um, I got the, the, the feeling from this question that it was like, not your quarter-acre stock tank, and definitely, because he said specifically, not your little you know, 250-gallon koi pond, but sort of like just bigger than the koi pond, big enough to grow some tilapia in or maybe some channel catfish in or some hybrid sunfish, something where you can actually produce edible meat from a pond on your property uh, with fish. I think it's a great idea. It's something I plan on doing uh, in Arkansas when I finally get there. I think it's uh, one of the best ways to produce meat. And, you know, I know people, one guy called me a big old girl because when I have chickens, I don't want to kill my chickens to eat them. I don't want to be putting chickens in a killing cone and cutting their heads off. Even though I'll hunt deer and stick my hands up inside of them to gut them out, it's just an animal that trusts me I don't like to kill. I'll pull a fish out of a tank and fillet it. I don't, and I think most people don't have that emotional attachment that you get with something like a chicken or a rabbit with a fish. Fish don't really have much of personality, and uh, I'm happy to put one down on a fillet board no matter how long I've raised it. So I think there is that advantage for people that have that hang-up with killing an animal that they've cared for and being able to produce protein and meat. I also think uh, when you look at animals as a whole and you say, how much biomass do I have to give this animal to produce one pound of protein? Fish are the greatest converter of biomass to protein in the world. Nothing that humans regularly consume will convert biomass to meat faster than fish. I also think what's what's really amazing is like if you're doing tilapia, you could actually create an algae rich environment where the fish just eat the algae. And you don't really need very much supplemental feed at all. And you can grow fish from very tiny little, you know, thumb you might use for bait up to edible size in, in half a year because tilapia have a very fast rate of growth if you give them, you know, enough space and the right growing conditions. That said, probably the best way to do this, if you want to actually have a significant volume of production per year is not in a pond in the ground, but using what's called, I think, aquaponics, which is where you're actually growing plants and fish together, and you do it kind of in like a giant, for lack of a better word, greenhouse, so you can keep your operation running in the wintertime. I don't know that that's the approach that I'll take. It probably will not be, and I probably won't be having very large harvests, but it would be nice to, let's say, three times or four times a month be able to go out and pull a few fish out and cook dinner that night from, you know, several different little ponds with different species of fish growing throughout your property and restock as needed. So that's the approach I'm going to take. If you want to do it, you know, kind of whole scale, there's entire forums out there on aquaponics and some guys have put in some really amazing setups. And what they usually use for their fish are the great big steel stock tanks, you know, 800, 900-gallon stock tanks, big steel, they're like a giant steel 
steel bucket. But I mean, like, you know, ten men could fit in, like a swimming pool. Like those little, you know, there's some thunder there, folks. Again, gorilla podcasting on the road here. Um, so that's what I've seen most of the aquaponics guys use. Um, and they usually use the steel ones. I've been looking at some of the uh, plastic ones. And I think that I, what I may actually do for my pond uh, or ponds is get some of those plastic ones. I found a 900-gallon plastic reinforced pond at Tractor Supply for just over 1000 bucks, And that would make a pretty nice pond set into the ground, the edges done upright. And that may be the route that I go. And I might want to put one or two of those in at different parts of my property uh, for various reasons. And you can raise a significant amount of fish uh, if you set things up right with that type of volume. Next question. I'll give you a short answer and then a long answer. Guy says, is a air gun a reasonable alternative to a 22 long rifle. I've been looking at some of the you know higher speed ones, and they seem to have comparable ballistics to a 22. Short answer: No, not at all. No chance. No way. An air gun is not an alternative as far as an equivalency to a 22 long rifle, and uh, I would not advise you to see it as such. An air gun is useful. An air gun can be used to harvest small game. Uh, some of them are highly accurate and highly deadly uh, on appropriate size game out to roughly, well, I don't know, 40, 50 yards for, for a really cracked shot on a windless day with the right air gun and the right ammo. But mostly you're looking at a weapon that's good for about 20 yards. And I know somebody's going to write, I shot a rabbit last year at 41 steps. I know, okay. On a windless day. It's probably the best shot you ever made in your life, and uh, you, you got a headshot. And if you hit that rabbit in the in the in the uh, you know the hard uh, long area at that range with your pellet gun, you probably would have killed it. You probably would have crippled it, would have made it down a hole, and you would have lost it. And if you cracked them with a 22 long rifle at 40 yards through the hard lung area with a hollow point, you would have anchored them because it's like shooting a deer with a 50 cal. Okay, so it's just not equivalent. The other side of this is, I don't care what you can do at 20, 25 yards with a pellet gun. You can set beer bottles out at 100 yards. I can stand there with a 22 and hit them offhand all day long. That's not braggery. It's just, you know, I grew up doing it. So we set beer bottles up in the strip mine holes in Pennsylvania and, you know, set them up at 50, 75, and 100 yards, stand offhand, and shoot them with a scope 22. I could never do that with a pellet gun. Absolutely never. So the ballistics up close may seem similar, but when you take a much heavier slug, a 40-grain bullet traveling you know, a little bit uh, past the speed of sound, supersonic, and you compare it to something that weighs 7 or 8 grains, the downrange performance is not there. So are air guns useful? Yes. They are not a 22. They will never fill the uh, total capabilities of a 22. And the only reason I would rely on a pellet gun over a 22 is because I didn't have a choice. If you don't have a choice, then you get the best damn air rifle you can. You get as good as you can with it. You learn its capabilities and you stay within them. But if a 22 is an option, it's a much better option. And you can easily store 10,000 rounds of 22 ammo uh, without even mortgaging the dog and the kids. Alright, so let's go ahead and take another question. I'm going to pause for a second here because it's pouring rain. Okay, um, I'm back. It's raining. We're going to have to deal with the background noise of the rain because I don't think it's going to stop before I get to the office. Uh, right now, on I-35 North, right at the Loop 12 Merge, for those of you familiar with it, uh, surrounded by traffic and uh, deep in, in some pretty deep waters. So if I sound distracted, that's why. The next question is a really great one. 
What learning material would I recommend that parents keep at a bug out location to keep kids learning um, while, uh, while you know, maybe the shit has hit the fan and you have to get away because you don't want your kids sitting around with their minds turning to mush and oatmeal. There may be jobs, there may be chores, but you also want them learning. So what do you do about that? Well, very first thing I would say is this is almost an antique today. But back when I was a kid in school, and we got a report to do on a famous figure or a famous event or anything like that, we didn't go to Google.com because there wasn't an internet yet, yet because I guess Al Gore had not invented it on his way to creating global warming with his big mouth. So we had these things called encyclopedias. And we would, you know, if we were doing a report, let's say, on the Whiskey Rebellion, we know that the doesn't go in the alphabetical, you know, thing, and we get the W Encyclopedia. And we'd go and we'd look up Whiskey Rebellion, and we'd get a little synopsis of what the Whiskey Rebellion was about and how it happened. I haven't seen an encyclopedia in the home of private individuals that's been purchased recently for a long time. I don't even know... Who makes modern encyclopedias anymore? But I can tell you that an encyclopedia set that you might find in a half-price bookstore from 1975 will give you pretty accurate history of everything that happened right up till about 1974. Okay, so I, I would look at getting either a new or a used encyclopedia set um, for anybody that's concerned about long-term education post should hit the fan. Uh, it's a great archive. It was a great invention. It's it's gone out of vogue, but when the computer won't fire up, or even if you have alternative energy, if uh, a shit has hit the fan and we don't have access to the internet, there is a wealth of information there, and it can be used by parents to create massive amounts of learning material. So that's one of the things I would definitely look at including if you have that concern. And even if you are childless or your children are grown, uh, as an adult, you might actually find reading an encyclopedia a little out of time, uh, a great pastime uh, when your other methods of entertainment are taken away. Imagine no survival podcast, no TSP forum, no Google News, no Google Finance, no Drudge Report, no Fox News, etc. I would also look at getting some very solid technical books on mathematics. Um, with, with, with math books and with an encyclopedia set, you can definitely teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that used to be the primary things that we taught. And by the time that children were in you know, upper grades, they were actually able to go into specific subject matter as they chose, but they were required to get more excellence in their reading, their writing, their comprehension, and their arithmetic. On top of that, they were required to have a commanding understanding of history. So an encyclopedia allows you to do all that. I would also make sure that you had copies of the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, the Articles of Confederation, which was the original, basically the original Constitution of the United States, and the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers to teach American history at a time where it may be more important than any time in history. So those are my basic thoughts. And then I would look and say, are there any books that you've ever read about situations, politics, anything?
anything that you think are extremely valuable and make sure that maybe once you've read them and you don't really read them often, maybe you store them in your bug allocation as additional educational materials. And also, if your kids are into anything like comic books and stuff like that, um, you know, put some of them away up at the bug allocation. Once they've been read, and you're going to put them in Mylar for collector's value or whatever. Uh, they might be completely worthless in a shit-hit-the-fan scenario, uh, but they might be entertaining for the kids to read. So keep some entertaining reading, whatever that means for your children up there as well. Get some good books on agriculture and permaculture to keep up there. You learn a lot about that. And get creative. And this is for you homeschool parents as well. Get creative in your education. For instance, I taught my son to do fairly complex algebra equations while we made beer when he was in second grade. And uh, when questioned about it, I said, how many second graders do you know that can do algebra? And the answer was none. Well, why could he do algebra even though he hates math? Because it meant something. And he wasn't drinking beer, and he wasn't part- but he still doesn't drink beer today. Um, but it actually had a meaningful application. So that's one of the biggest things you can do with math. One of the uh, math teachers I had in high school that really got through to me, uh, I was a young man. I was pretty motivated by, by, by the dollar. And this guy was able to see that and understand that. And he also said, you're pretty good at chemistry. I've talked to one of your other teachers. And he said, why are you good at chemistry? He said, because it's easy. And he said, but it's math. So when you're talking about you know, two chemicals bonding and you're looking at the, the, the way that they output, you're, it's basically the same thing you're doing in here. I said, yeah, but it means something. Hydrogen bonding to oxygen makes water. That's meaningful. This number and that number going together with an N and an X, I don't really care. It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't see the application. Put a dollar sign in front of all the numbers and said, see it this way. And it made a difference for me. So be creative when it comes to teaching math. And do whatever it takes to get kids to understand relevance and application. Because a lot of times you don't realize how much you need math until you get in a situation uh, where it's necessary. And teach your kids math in their head. Teach them things like how to add 135 and 837 by using rounding to tens and remainders and doing simple algebra in their head. Things like that. It's very important day to day, not just for shit at the fan, so that people don't get taken in deals and money and things like that. They're able to quickly run estimates of numbers in their head. Play a game with your kids when you go to the grocery store. How much do you think we spent this week? Just by looking at the cart without looking at the prices. Teach them to estimate. All right? All of these things are good for educational purposes. Okay, the next question was basically, can I do an entire show on urban survivalism? What to do if you're a city dweller, you live in the city or the suburbs, you're not going to have a bug allocation anytime time soon. You need to reinforce things as best you can. I'd say you do the exact same thing to a large degree that we talk about every day. Storing food, storing water, having plants. You still have to have an evacuation plan, but yes, I will do a show dedicated to the urban survivalists because I believe that we're arrogant in the survivalist community sometimes and we believe that people in the cities and the towns have no hope and only us that have our remote location will be safe and a true shit hit the fan. And the the reality is there are certain situations where we with a good community around you, you're better off in a town than alone out in the country if you have built the right community. One thing I'll throw out today, I think a great first step in that direction is to set up a neighborhood watch. It's a great way to get to know your neighbors and find out the ones that are actually interested. It's a good reason to get them active and involved in the neighborhood. When you knock on the door and say, hey, I'm putting together a neighborhood watch, you're going to get a pretty warm reception from most people, even the ones that turn you down. 
Um, especially you know, say we're making a roster of the people in the neighborhood. Are you interested? No. Okay, but you know, we'll, you know, want to make sure we have your name. So if we see something going on, we call the police and report it. Things like that. It'll also show you real quickly the people you can't trust. I get real nervous about that. What are you doing? Right. So that will help you in the community identify potential problems before they become a problem. It'll make your neighborhood more safe. And if you go to sell your house, it'll make your your house worth more money. People like to live in neighborhoods that have good, solid neighborhood watch programs. Your local law enforcement can probably give you a template to set it up and do it the right way within legal means. And once you get it set up, operational and running, it's pretty easy to start asking people, hey, um, you know, what, what if we ever had a bigger problem than some guy breaking in Sam's house? You know, what do you think we should do? And let them give you some ideas, and they'll leave themselves there. And on whatever night your friend is pulling watch duty for cruising the neighborhood for his couple hours of duty that month, say, hey, you know what? Check out the Survival Podcast. I put it on a disc for you. And let me do the rest for you to help you build that community. I think it can do that. Okay, that question was actually two-part, though, from this guy. He also said... um, I don't even have a, a really large yard. I need to do a lot of container gardening. Can you do show a show completely on container gardening? I've done several of them. They're in the archives. I'll post lo, uh, links in today's show notes to them for you. And this is a great time for me to point out something pretty cool about the site that I don't think a lot of people use. If you go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, way high up on the page, you'll see a box with the word search. If you want to find shows on container gardening, type container gardening in that search box and hit search. If you want to find shows about guns, type guns in and hit search. You'll find all the shows that have been tagged or used the words that you're looking for on the site. You'll see them listed in the order that they were done with the most recent shows first. So it's not really like a a high relevancy engine. It's more what's the most current shows with these things in them. If you look further down, you'll see a whole bunch of words. Just, you know, one, two word phrase and one words and all different sizes in blue. Or I think it's red, actually. About halfway down the page. That's a tag cloud. You click on any one of those words, those tags go on every show. I tag the show what it's about. So if you clicked on container gardening, gardening, agriculture, anything like that, you'll see all the shows that mention those things, and you can look through them and see the ones that are specifically about container gardening or whatever subject it is. So make sure you're using some of the great features that the site has. They're there for you, the user. They're not really there for me, though I do use them. Today, for instance, when I want to find the shows that I've done on container gardening, I'll use the search function myself. So it's there to make the site more accessible, and even if you're not a member support brigade member and you don't have access to all the nine zip files, you do have access to any show that was ever done simply by going through the archives using the tag cloud or using the search. Uh, And that pretty much wraps it up for today. This absolutely pouring rain. I'm a few miles from the office, and uh, I think I'm going to end the show now and uh, try to get the rest of this trip done safely in the pouring rain uh, with all these giant trucks around me. And this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can holler It really doesn't matter Get spent